The Athletic. Yep, here we go again. Riding high off the back of a magical night in Europe. Fernandez, wonderful control. Fernandez, Marshall! Wonderful! Wonder up and top of the league. But hang on. Corey. Problems here for United. It's Townsend! Talk about a counter attack. Length of the field stop from Everton. Now it's Monday, and again, we're left wondering what exactly went wrong. Still, it could have been worse. Godfrey. Davis! Tom Davis! He's offside. He must be off. He's offside. He must be off, surely. Flag stays down. Amina runs away jubilantly. Well, he's offside. Yes, this is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. And after the elation of Wednesday night's late winner, we were on the receiving end this time, weren't we? I'm Ian Irving, joining me on this podcast as well, as much as you might not want to, to relive that one old draw with Everton. It's hello to Andy Mitten. Hello, Ian. And Laurie Whitwell as well. Hello to you, Laurie. Hi, Ian. You okay? Yeah, I think so. Here we go again then. I keep saying this, don't I? We have a really upbeat podcast and then we seem to have a really downbeat one, but let's get through it. Andy, how concerned are you? I'm concerned. I'm not quite as annoyed as I was walking out of Old Trafford in the rain on Saturday. And I was really, really disappointed. And I spoke to a lot of Manchester United fans who were also walking in the rain and they were very, very disappointed. And I think they were, their worries are well-founded. Uh, they were critical of the performance of the manager, of the fact that Manchester United dropped more points at home. We can't pretend it's good at the moment. So let's not pretend that. Over the last couple of days, I've probably become more measured. I've seen that you know not every team won this weekend either, but I I still have um I still have concerns. Uh, the league table might put an optimistic face on where Manchester United are at the moment, but I know what I see with my own eyes, and I thought it was it was going all right on Saturday, and then Everton scored a goal which really worried me, and then when Everton scored again. Although that was ruled out, I thought, oh gosh, here we go again. And it's got to improve, something's got to change. What needs to change, Laurie? United need to stop being so open on transitions. I mean, it sounds crazy that we're into this stage of the season. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's three years into the job and United are now, it seems, worse than ever at um, sort of stopping teams from countering on them, which is clearly a, a prime route for, you know, opposition sides having chances against United, you know, because they'll often have more of the ball, particularly at Old Trafford. Um, and, and Everton, you knew exactly what they were going to do in terms of staying compact and the players they've got, you know, being able to break quickly um, and with quite a lot of precision. Um, Damari Gray, it's done really well. I mean, I saw him for Leicester a number of times, uh, having seen him for Birmingham previously. I thought he was a real talent at Birmingham. Never really took off at Leicester and you were always sort of hoping for more consistency from him, even though he did have skills in abundance and he seems to you know found a good home at Everton and, and the way he you know shrugged off Fred uh, by the halfway line um, was sort of pretty catastrophic from his point of view in terms of Fred but you know you credit to Damari Gray for having the strength and presence of mind to do what he did and then slice through United with Decorey as well he was excellent um, and Andros Townsend finishing really smartly um, but I think it's a real worry that United keep being so open you know it was the case against Wolves it was the case against Newcastle um, definitely the case against Everton so 
you know, they need, they've got two defensive midfielders in there, not defensive by nature, but the kind of positions that they play in Scott McTominay and Fred, you know, they're the two sort of holders. They're supposed to be the insurance policy for the defence so that it's not, you know, 1v1, 2v2, 3v3 when it when, when a team breaks against them. And that just, that's that's what happened again. You know, Luke Shaw sort of coming across to try and, you know, make amends and, and leaving Andros Townsend totally free. It seems like the structure of the team in those moments is, is totally absent. And then as Andy touched on, that goal for Yerimina, I mean, again, the, the, what happened at that, that corner where you've All got over the place, Tom Davis totally open. I mean, so yeah, you've got a, an attacking corner and you concede a goal. You've got a defensive corner, second phase, and you, you concede a goal. And it's it's fortunate, really, that Mina was offside. He didn't really need to be offside. Tom Davis could have shot and scored himself. Um, so it was just f- fortunate rather than any kind of sense of... Um, strategy that United didn't lose that game in that moment um, yeah there were some good moments in attack um, and I can see why Solskjaer twisted things you know rotated after a midweek game um, in the Champions League and, and as Andy mentioned you know, there's a few big teams you know Real Madrid lost at the weekend after playing Champions League Bayern Munich so there's a few teams that didn't do so good against uh, having played in midweek but at the same time this isn't a, a, a an aberration for United this is another sort of underwhelming performance and, and result um, where you're now looking at a fixture list that is going to get a lot harder. And as Bruno Fernandes said after the game, United should have more points from the start that they've had. I mean, really, you look at it on paper and you think that they actually could have won all six games um, or seven games, you know, the fact that the standard of opposition that they were against, um, whereas actually they're sort of, you know, now two points off top and it's going to get, um, you know, they're up against teams that you could see proving a real difficulty. Yeah, we'll get to the fixture list that's coming in a minute, actually, but there's still a few bits that we need to go through about Saturday. I mean, you said there about Bruno speaking after the game. I heard him doing interviews. He used the same word that Scott McTominay used to me in my interview after the game as well, which was United need to be more streetwise. Scott seemed extremely irritated um, in the interview. I mean, it's probably my questions, but um, (laughs) he just seemed completely fed up that that it's the same sort of thing. And it's not the first time I've heard United players say this either. I've heard them say it several times in recent years that they just need to be a little bit more nasty. And I think that goal showed it. There was probably, Andy, three, four opportunities for someone just to trip them up. I mean, I I watched one of the Norwich centre-halves skipping through Burnley and it took Jay Rodriguez in the end to trip him up just on the edge of the box with absolutely no attempt to play the ball at the weekend. Someone just needed to do that, didn't they? Yeah. Words will only carry players so far. I felt in the last week, um, the support for the manager from moderates has been slipping. Sensible people. I just feel it. I was in the pubs of Manchester before the game. I was speaking to people and I'm getting a lot of, I love Ollie, but... And that's really concerning. People who've been really supportive towards him, I've got genuine, legitimate concerns about the way Manchester United are playing, about the results. Um, Laurie touched on the goal quite rightly. It was the major event in the game, the Everton goal. Uh, I don't think Fred was playing that badly until that point. I thought he was doing well, but that, that was a horrendous mistake to be muscled off the ball, not once, but twice. And there were others who were culpable in that counter-attack, starting with Bruno's corner, which was quite poor as United pushed for a second goal. But was anyone really surprised when Everton equalised? The only surprise for me was that they didn't take the lead. Everton are a decent team, unrecognisable from the side that came to Old Trafford pre-season. And I know that the coaches from United were stunned how bad they were. And I know there was a lot of disdain from the Everton fans towards their new manager, Rafa Benitez. But as we said last week, he's a good manager. They're a good side. They've only lost uh, one game so far this season. Don't expect Manchester United fans 
to take that and suddenly be satisfied. Oh, we've just got a draw against Everton. A draw against Everton in isolation, fine. Coming after being outclassed by Villarreal, after those other defeats, and fans start to get sick of words, whether they're from the manager, whether from they're from uh, one of the players, we've got to do this, this, we've got to do more, blah, 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 blah. It's not good enough. No one's pretending that it's good enough. And United might get out of this. Ollie's got out of it in the past. Even against some of the stronger teams, he's surprised people when results uh, and, and the opponents have been have been strongest. And he needs to do that now because, as you've said, the fixture list has been pretty forgiving to Manchester United so far. It's going to get really, really tough. And I don't think there is the appetite among fans to stomach several more defeats. I just don't. And from moderates. that that That's the worry to me. He's losing the moderates now. The manager is losing the moderates. And it is not unfair to judge him as he comes up to three years in charge. And, and finally on this point, other teams are losing. I didn't watch Chelsea, but I, I got told um, Southampton lost a player and that was going towards a draw. Liverpool and City drew. So results keep favouring Manchester United. All the other teams have dropped points. And as you said, in Europe, as well as the teams you mentioned, PSG lost, Ajax lost as well. All these league leaders lost. Lower down, Dagenham Redbridge were beaten by the mighty Altrincham from Manchester. Even South Shields failed to win, leaving Matlock Town to surge up the table. So it was a freaky weekend. Barcelona lost, Real Madrid lost. But that's just uh, a sideline in Manchester United's, um, in the Manchester United story. I, I still feel there's a lot of frustrations among the supporters. Yeah, I think it's the fact that it's not been... It's not been great opposition that United seem to have been outsmarted by at times in terms of the, the the tactics and the game plan. I mean, yes, Everton have had a decent start, like Andy said, but they were missing three or four of their best players. I mean, no Calvert-Lewin, no Richarlison, Seamus Coleman, the captain's missing. Even Alexander Iwobi, who'd come into the team to try and sort of plug holes in the attack, was injured and missing. They had Anthony Gordon making his first start. The bench... I had to look up a few of the players on the bench. You had two goalkeepers on it as well. I mean, United's bench compared to Everton's was just so, so stark. I don't know who said it, Laurie, but someone said that Everton were just more than the sum of the parts and United were nowhere near the sum of the parts. So that, that pretty much sums it up and that's really got to fall down to the two managers at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the ultimate conclusion, I would say. Um, and you, know, you can keep sort of saying, let's allow these new players to... You know, blood into the team to find the relationships and understand him. But at the same time, Rafa Benitez has gone in there, and you can clearly see the cohesion that they've got. You know, I suppose it's a, a perhaps a simpler game plan if you're coming to Old Trafford and you know that you kind of you know defended and then breaking. Um, but at the same time, Andy said that Everton had chances before they actually scored. Um, you know, so he's obviously doing a good job there, and you can see the kind of instructions that he's giving to his players as they go on. You know, the specific man marking job. Um, you know, for Pogba, for example, when he came off the bench. I mean, yeah, you look at the substitutes. Jaden Sancho, Cristiano Ronaldo and Paul Pogba off the bench and you're thinking, wow, this is some show of strength from United. Here we go, step on the gas, ease to a 2-0, you know, 3-0 win. Everton's attackers on the bench were called Whitaker and Dobbin. <laughs> Sounds like a, a detective agency, doesn't it, from you know, the 18th century or something. But Numbers 57 and 61, that gives you an idea of the comparison. Yeah, when, when two players add up to over 100 in their squad numbers, you know, you know they're not 
exactly knocking on the door of the you know starting eleven every week, uh, all all things considered. Um, yeah, I, I, so that that is that is the main thing. It's it's one thing I suppose being on this m- number of points after this many games. You know, it's sort of fair enough, really. But it's the facts of the opposition, and as we know, it's going to get tougher. I mean, Andy said before, Ollie's pulled himself out of tricky situations against big teams. You know, we've reflected on that. You know, uh, period in 2019 when he went and beat Man City and, and Tottenham. Sorry, Manchester United went and beat Man City and Tottenham back to back. Um, it, it would need something like that now to kind of you know dismiss this this sort of feeling this unease about things you know potentially unraveling um you know when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo sort of chuntering to himself on the way off it just doesn't look great I mean clearly no one wants to be drawing at home to Everton and you want winners and, and you want people to be annoyed at, at losing you know I think that's exactly what you want but it, I guess the mood just doesn't feel quite right in that situation yeah, Ronaldo was probably irritated by the mark of respect, apparently, that Andres Townsend <laughs> paid him. That was a curious line from post-match, wasn't it? Anyway, um, the next few games in Andy, uh, let's have a look at them. Leicester away, Atalanta at home, Liverpool at home, Tottenham away, Atalanta away, Manchester Derby at home, Watford away, bit of a breather, Villarreal away, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home. Wow. Um it's not just about winning against Tottenham and Manchester City this time, is it? He's going to have to do it for a much longer, sustained period of time to turn these things around, isn't he? Got to get out of this Champions League group, no excuses. If Manchester United fail to get out of this group, then it, then it will kick off. Watford away a breather? I thought that going to Vicarage Road in December two years ago <laughs> yeah, and Manchester United were so bad, <laughs> so indescribably bad. I was looking forward to that game, game as well. You've killed it. I mean, what, what, Watford hadn't won before that for like 32 years and then just get the same nonsense coming out. And unfortunately, it has become um, a hallmark of Ollie's United. Now, United have always lost matches. Every football team loses matches. But the team are losing the ones you don't expect them and winning the ones you don't expect them. And if the team are going to compete properly for trophies, which a squad with this level of talent really should be doing, that's got to be ironed out. And it wasn't an isolated result. And Everton have improved. And Aston Villa are are in a good place. But, but, but. We all know, everyone knew inside that ground on Saturday... Um, that that this wasn't wasn't good enough, and I don't think anyone was surprised. I wasn't even surprised when Everton went ahead, and that's that that's the worrying, and it's got to get better. And Ollie will be judged by results. It's on him now. He's had time. He's not had the. He'd always want more time. He'd always want more player. Every other manager does, but uh, I think the club have been very patient. Almost three years would be an unimaginable amount of time compared to other major clubs in Europe. And United have got to deliver. They have to. The team have got to uh, uh, deliver. Now, the team start winning again, be all right, because actually the league position's fine. We've been in October two years ago when Manchester United have been 11th or 13th. But I'm not convinced by it. I'm not convinced by, by the football that I'm watching. And when... Manchester United have got some of the wins this year. They've been last minute. It's been, it, 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 it's not been because Manchester United have been particularly playing well. I can count on one hand the number of times Manchester United have played well. I think the football has been pretty underwhelming so far this season. I don't think it's been particularly entertaining. There's been a sense of occasion. Ronaldo coming back, Varane coming on the pitch, hitting Leeds for five or Newcastle for four. But I don't think the football has been brilliant. And 
it's got to get better. And if it doesn't, and it isn't doing, then you're going to uh, continue to have um, the, the, the mood and the disquiet among fans who are very, very supportive. They were singing the manager's name on Saturday. Ollie's had so much support. And previous Manchester United managers have had support at, at matches as well. But we can't pretend that um, it's normal. And you touched on Ronaldo. You're starting to hear people say, was it really good to sign him? Is he become such a huge personality that that can have a, a negative side to it as well? Or is this his frustration because he just wants to win, 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 and the team is short of that um, win, winning mentality? So big, big uh, month or two coming up. But before that, we've got that two-week international break, and it would have been so good going into that with three points rather than one. So what we'll have now for two weeks is a vacuum that needs to be filled with more conjecture about whether Oli's the right man, whether Ronaldo, and it just wouldn't have happened if United would have won at the weekend. People would have forgot that Villarreal outclassed Manchester United because it would have just been two wins to right the wrongs of the previous matches. Yeah, I saw the, the story. I think it's the first story that I've seen recently anyway about Solskjaer's future um, with the mention of the name Gareth Southgate. No, no, Sorry. I'm sorry, I saw that story. It's yeah. utter clickbait. It is, mm-hmm. and People shouldn't even be giving stories like that attention. I read that story. There wasn't a line of anything with any foundation in that. It was something like, um, it, if results continue to be bad, then maybe Gareth Southgate could be considered. That's not journalism. That's clickbait aimed at, at hooking people who've not got a brain to talk about whether Gareth Southgate will be Manchester United's next manager. And I don't do that in my job. Laurie doesn't do that in, in, in his job. You speak to people, you get hard facts, and you don't write nonsense like that. Yeah, exactly. And the point the point I was about to make was it shows that the vacuum's already being filled, Laurie, doesn't it? That people are, are beginning to do that uh, because, you know, two or three weeks ago, there was no stories about who could be next after Ollie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it'll it'll become a, a kind of it's just the industry that we're in, I suppose. You know, and and if results are on the slide, and if there's sort of pressure mounting, then you know the agents will get to work. It won't be, um, you know, necessarily that journalists are, are kind of going off on one. Um, that that kind of. You know, we had it really last year where there was, you know, some suggestion that Mauricio Pochettino had been contacted and, you know, it was always strenuously denied by Manchester United. But at the same time, some people were saying that that, that had been the case through intermediaries. And it's always difficult to exactly gain the truth of these matters. But for sure right now, there's no, you know, question of Solskjaer's job being under threat and it'll be, you know, that's, that's you know, United have invested in him and they've signed a new contract with him in the summer. Yeah, clearly everyone is, you know, worried uh, about this sort of trend of results, concerned, I suppose, more than worried. But, you know, it's far too early to be talking about, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job in those terms. Well, we've got two weeks, haven't we, to go over this. I'm sure we'll talk more in the podcast, in this international break, about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's future. And it'll be interesting to see what happens as well in terms of filling the vacuum, like you've said, Andy, too. But we've got other issues that we need to debate. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, as reported by The Athletic, Jason Park has appealed to Manchester United fans to retire the song about him, which of course contains quite unpleasant lyrics really about Koreans eating dogs. Um, Andy, it's pretty easy this, isn't it? Just stop singing it or change the words, surely. Yeah, I think what G said is is, is absolute fair comment. I think times have changed. Do you know when, that, when I first heard that song, truthfully, I thought it was funny and it's not. And times have changed in the last 15 years. And, and, and he's quite right. And it's 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 wrong on, on two levels. Um, one, because it's no longer accurate, as as G pointed out. And he said there are racial undertones to that. And not that's not the image that he wants to portray uh, of South Korea. Two, the line about um, it could be worse. You could be living in a council house. Well, what's wrong with living in a council house? So... I think um I think it, it it's wrong. I, to be fair to the United fans singing it, I don't think they really really mean it. And there's an element of football fans, you know, they just sing them. But I think G's absolutely right to 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 point out the same happened with the Lukaku song as well a few years ago, Laurie, didn't it? With Manchester United fans, and that that quickly stopped, which was encouraging. Like you say, times have changed, haven't they? Really, Andy. I mean that that's just that's just how it is, Laurie, isn't it? Really. Yeah, I think clearly, you know. Fans will try and create songs to raise a bit of a smile, to have a bit of a go at rival fans, and clearly things can pass over a line. You know, um, I've obviously been in crowds where this has been sung. You know, when I was a kid, and um, you know, I didn't think anything of it at the time. But you, you know, you reflect on things and you realise that actually that is just it's just not right. It's not um, not needed. Um, what you want to do in, in songs really is to raise up the play that you're singing about and not have this kind of. You know, is it even a, a praise? You know that they're sort of singing about him in this way. No, it's there's not, nothing it? actually praising Park really. No. Yeah, so it's it's more about you know it's more about denigrating Liverpool fans, isn't it? Um, and actually, you know, there's plenty to sing about Park. You know, in terms of a, an adulation, you know, three lungs, for example. You know, you could you could change the words to to something that you know reflects the playing style that he had and the way that he was picked in big games and and you know uh, and Ferguson clearly rated him highly in, in specific roles. So, you won't yeah. have a go at writing those lyrics, Laurie. Well, I, I, I tried, didn't I, with a, with a couple of songs on Luke Shaw and Jaden Santo over the summer, and I don't think they really got much, um, much, Did you? much traction. What was this? Well, I was a bit drunk in a pub whilst uh, <laughs> Sancho played against Ukraine, and I was trying to make something work with, you know, the gold by Spando Ballet. Oh, yeah. Jaden Sancho, Cho. And then that was about as far as I got. So right. if anyone's got any lyrics, I'm surprised that didn't take off actually. Yeah, no, I've listened. I've, I've tried to sort of you know secrete it amongst my mates to get it sung at Old Trafford. It you know hasn't really gone anywhere. So maybe I'll, I'll leave it to people that can actually do the job properly. Um, you have to give Pete Boyle a ring. Exactly. And feed him it, yeah. Exactly. He used to write all of them, didn't he? Um, so yeah, I, I just think, but it's a simple case, isn't it? You, if if a player doesn't want it sung explain it come out and that it shouldn't really have to I suppose but he clearly feels like he needs to take a step at this point and I'm sure all right thinking fans will listen to him and agree with him yeah I don't think there needs to be any more said about that whatsoever uh, it's good to hear from Pat though Andy wasn't it yeah I don't know him but I know people who do and they just speak well of him being being a, a lovely person and he was a very effective player for Manchester United and I remember when he signed speaking to 
one former Manchester United player, this would be the summer of 2006, and he said he's only been bought for commercial reasons to sell shirts in, in the Far East. And, and I think that on reflection is completely untrue because he was a hugely effective player uh, for Manchester United. I'm not saying that he had the talent of some of the other players, but his, his work ethic and his, his, he did so well in, in some matches. Um, uh, I think the, the there was a, a lot of affection from fans towards him. And he's, he's absolutely right to say that, if that's his opinion on the song. As for other songs, the hard bit is getting is getting the songs to take off. That's the hard bit with songs. It's getting it to spark. I've seen some really good songs just not come off. And, and others, you think, why on earth has that one taken off? So, yeah, we need a word with Pete Boyle. I saw him at the Villarreal game, but I was a bit concerned because his son, George, who's maybe... 11 or 12, was twice as loud as his dad. So yeah, yeah. maybe I go straight to Georgie and um, get him to, to get it rocking rather than Peter. But yeah, he was there. Yeah, he's moved over to the family stand, hasn't he? Because he's going with his lad. Yeah, they were singing all the Ronaldo songs after the game against Villarreal. And that's been uh, something new this season, people staying behind. Because as you'll know, uh, there are pitch side interviews because of the COVID. They're not all done in the tunnel now. And thousands of fans are staying behind to sing about the players. And I don't know whether those pitch side interviews will, will continue. I know there's been some unease from a couple of managers. It changed at the weekend. So the host broadcaster, which was BT for the game on Saturday, they were all done inside. And then the international rights holders, obviously I was working for the Premier League, um, were outside. Um, and I can tell you that it wasn't, it probably was, it was negated a little bit, I think, because... Um, the the international rights holders have have to get interviews quickly, but not as quick as the they call it a flash interview when the players come straight off the pitch, which was then done inside. So, for example, when I've interviewed United players this year, I've not been able to hear them. Harry Maguire certainly after the Leeds United game, we we're both laughing because it was so ridiculous. It was brilliant. Um, it wasn't brilliant doing the interview, but it was a great moment. Um, whereas at the weekend, I could hear every word that Scott McTominay said. Uh, and uh, yeah, it sort of changed a little bit, but I, I think that's been a nice addition um, at Old Trafford. I think the atmosphere has been better this year as well. Um, I know we were talking about it, Andy, for a piece that I'm doing about how it's been different this year, and, and Ronaldo's helped, and the return of fans after COVID's helped, but undoubtedly the efforts that Manchester United fans have made, the Red Army in particular, to improve the atmosphere has been noted. David De Gea was saying in an interview with us a couple of weeks back as well, he's really noticed that the atmosphere has been better. Uh, Mick Phelan tweeted about it as well. Um, it's just a shame it's not making more of a difference in the results, Andy, I guess. The atmosphere is better than it has been for years on a consistent basis. Credit to the club, to the fans, especially the Red Army section, because it's not just them. They help amplify the areas around that, such as where I saw Pete Boyle. It was actually in the family stand, which is adjacent to it. So no complaints at all about the support that the team are getting. Uh, it was brilliant against um, Villarreal. And I wasn't at the Newcastle game, as, as you, you know, but people have been coming up to me saying it's like the best for years. It's just just really, really loud. So that's not something we um, we should ever take for granted because I fought a battle for, for years, 15, 20 years, to get Manchester United to listen and engage more with the fans because the atmosphere was declining. And, and the club just turned a blind eye to it for so, so long and got away with it because the team was winning everything. But it really suffered when the Stratford end closed and the ground went all-seater. So I'm pleased it is so good at the moment. I'm pleased that 
I get asked if I want headphones because the, 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 the crowd is so loud that I might not be able to, to hear Unai Emery when I speak to him. And I always sense that that bit of the, the pantomime at the end where the away manager comes out is probably not going to continue because all it takes is one nut job. But Emery did come out the other night and everyone booed him and he handled it pretty well, actually. He was smiling and he he, he spoke very well um, too. But I sense um, at Anfield away it wouldn't be quite as forgiving if 4,000 Liverpool fans uh, stayed back to, you know, while, while we... Luke Shaw just being interviewed having scored an 89th minute winner yeah I can't see the Liverpool fans staying behind for that somehow okay talk about Mason Greenwood. It's not a new story, this is it. Manchester United player not being called up to England duty. It's not even a new story necessarily with Mason Greenwood. Um, but Laurie, he's having a rest this international break. You've written about it. Jude Bellingham the same. Um, how much of a benefit do you think this is for Mason and what's the thinking? Yeah, it's an interesting one because clearly you know, he is playing to a standard where Gareth Southgate would like to include him. Jude Bellingham also, you know, uh, man of the match performances for Borussia Dortmund, you know, in the Champions League. So, uh, you know, you can't really ask for much more from midfielders. But they're two young players. Um, they're both developing physically and mentally. I mean, there's people that still think Mason Greenwood's got maybe like an inch to grow um, into his frame. He's still adding muscle. Um, and I think just the way that things had gone with him previously with England, obviously he'd, he'd had the one cap and he, he was sent home um, after the incident in Iceland where you know he invited um, girls to his hotel along with Phil Foden. I think there's a, a sort of sense that actually it's better for him just to be in Manchester um, and, and be around Carrington, um, be around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and have the coaching staff still work with him and, and kind of develop that way rather than go away with England and kind of have a little bit of uncertainty around his situation. Um, I wonder for both of them if the, if their circumstances were different, if they were you know guaranteed game time, if they were going to start every game for England, then yeah, I think it would be a different case. But I think with the fact that they're sort of looking at it from their point of view and thinking, well, we've played a lot of games um, at a young age. Um, let's actually just have this time to, to reflect, to, to sort of physically and mentally de- depress, really, um, and kind of come back for our clubs um, when we're sorted. Um, I sort of found a, a quote from Sir Alex Ferguson that he wrote in uh, Mike Lowen's autobiography, um, a foreword for it, and he, he basically spoke about Owen going away at sort of 17, 18 uh, with England and then coming straight back and, and straight into Liverpool's first team and then basically not really having a rest until, you know, he got those hamstring injuries and Ferguson sort of thinking, was that a, a factor? And speaking to Gerard Houllier, the manager at the time, about it. And clearly, you know, no one can say with, you know, definitive authority, you know, that that, that was the cause of, of, of Michael Owen having sort of hamstring problems. But clearly, if you've got someone like Sir Alex Ferguson thinking that that was a, a possibility, then I can see why clubs are just attuned to it now and thinking, actually, if we've got young players that we want to prolong their careers, you know, to, to beyond, you know, to just this immediate period right now, um, then let's have a bit of a balanced um, equation with it all. You know, Jamie Vardy, you know, retired from international duty at 31, um, pretty much because he wasn't really playing you know he wasn't starting every game he was kind of like a substitute and again it might have been different if he was starting every single week but he's come away from England and he's still you know top scorer in the Premier League this season um, at 34 so clearly it's worked for him um, so I think it's, just, it's at the other end of the spectrum with Bellingham and Greenwood where both their clubs are thinking 
well, actually, it's, it's the families as well. You know, Southgate mentioned the families that he's spoken to. You know, rather than a kind of deal with the clubs, um, but it's just what they're what they're thinking right now. And I'm sure they'll both play many games for England in future. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Greenwood still wasn't in the England squad in November either. I mean, the, the games that they've got, you know, aren't exactly the most crucial, you know, games against opposition. So again, I can see a, a similar situation next month as well. On the flip side, Andy, um, is it sort of is it hindering Mason that? He's not going to get more experience at this point at international level for his development. Is it hindering that he's not really had much of an opportunity in an England shirt to move on from the controversy of Iceland as well if he's not being picked in the squads? I look at a player who's been really good this season. I think he's a real deal and everything I hear about him in terms of his, his play development it is positive. I don't think you'll find any protests from Manchester United fans because he's not gone away with England, traditionally, it's been an uneasy relationship between club and country. Uh, not just because England fans had had a go at United players, but really good Manchester United players have come back injured from England duty. My, one of my childhood heroes, Steve Coppel, picked up an injury playing for England and was never the same again. Uh, Brian Robson, Neil Webb, Ray Wilkins, the list is, is a long one. But I've always cut players a, a little bit of slack with England because if they felt it was a big thing to represent their country then, fair enough. They're absolutely entitled to that. And if that's not what some Manchester United uh, fans feel, then then so what? If 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 it's the players want to go and represent the country, then good. But it's given some of the examples that, that you've been given, um, Manchester United players have felt like that themselves. Paul Scholes just called it a day. He just wasn't enjoying it. Just wasn't enjoying being away from his family wasn't enjoying particularly uh, playing for England. I do think the England camp is a far happier place now with Gareth Gareth Southgate because I read that in the, I read that in uh, the Daily Express. Should get him at Old Trafford, shouldn't we? Yeah, I think he's coming next week. I think he's becoming manager. He's got to do what's right for him. You know, you all think you know this person, but you don't. And if he feels he'll be in a a, a better place, staying in Manchester. Um, my main thing with him is. I've got no issue with the way he's playing at all. All right, maybe he could be a little bit more clinical in front of goal, but he's been one of the best players this year. He's 19 years old. It's not just his the way he's playing. He's demanding the ball. He's, he's pretty strong, even with people like Cristiano Ronaldo. More power to Mason Greenwood. Is it a concern, Laurie, that he's not scored since Ronaldo came into the side? Ooh, uh, good question. Um... I don't think it's a concern because you know he started so well and he's still playing well. You know, I mean, I, th- I think that that's one of the things that people that say he is a centre forward um, perhaps slightly overlook his dribbling ability. I mean, he put in a couple of really nice crosses as well, and obviously that pass for Bruno came from the right wing with his left foot um, before you know before Anthony Martial's goal. So I think he adds different elements to his game other than just finishing. So I, I, I don't mind that. Yeah, I suppose if it continues then maybe that's something that they could look at, um, just whether there's a, an understanding that needs to be really harnessed between him and Ronaldo. Um, I wrote a piece on Friday um, about Ronaldo's... Um, so having a little bit of a look at his, his, his stats, really. Um, you know, Clearly, the main stat is that he's got five goals in five games um, at that point. Um, but just having a look at, you know, he's pressing. You know, we all knew he wasn't going to press much, but it's it's quite interesting, I suppose, that he, you know, sort of two point seven presses per game, um, which is you know the lowest of any forward in the Premier League so far. Um, so it just means that United have to, I suppose, slightly adapt maybe how they would play with him, and, and they've got other players clearly. Edison Cavani will press like a maniac, so they can do 
do it differently with different players on the pitch, different personnel, because um, it quite a lot of traction that the piece uh, when people, um, some United fans were sort of saying, why on earth are you bothered about his pressing when you know he's obviously so clinical and has given us so many great moments already? Well, United would have known about this as well because we, we were talking about this when Ronaldo signed. There was some stat about him being in the bottom yeah. 1% of, of strikers pressing in Europe's top, Major leagues last year, whatever the stat. Yeah, was. it was so that so that's kind of yeah. It's nothing new. It's just interesting, I suppose, to bring it on. Just so because I remember the first five minutes against Newcastle, him and Mason Greenwood are looking at each other as if it's a really quick exchange. Who's going to charge down Matt Ritchie? And it's actually Ronaldo that goes. You know, sort of within five minutes of his United return and you know, presses and, and tries to block the block the clearance from Matt Ritchie. He's not successful, but and then you know against Villarreal, he charges down uh, Ruli, doesn't he, and nearly scores um, late on. So it's it's you know clearly he he will make his impact in moments when he feels like he's got the most um, possibility of, of having an effect. Um, but I suppose it just it, it, within the piece it also showed that him and Mason Greenwood had only passed to each other 11 times at that point in the Premier League. Um, you know, his, Ronaldo's relationship with um, Paul Pogba was sort of treble that and, and, and Luke Shaw as well. So it sort of showed how much he drifts over to the left as well, um, that sort of point. Um, but clearly, if you're only passing to Mason Greenwood, who he'd spent a lot of time with on the pitch at that point, 11 times, then something needs to just develop, I suppose, between the two of them. Um, but that will come, I'm sure. You know, it's just a case of getting familiar with each other's runs and, and the patterns of play. Um, and I do just need to very, very briefly, I never do this, but correct Andy, Mason Green would turn 20 on Friday, Andy, just to let you know. Sorry, I apologise to everybody for saying it was 19. Any more hairs to split, Laurie? I say it's all about accuracy. I spoke to one lad um, who played with Ronaldo after the game on, on, on Saturday. Not played with Ronaldo on Saturday, but used to play with Ronaldo, seeing as we've been extremely accurate. <laughs> and he was, he was saying... It was always this way with Ronaldo. He said even when we were winning um, the the league titles, he needed lads around him to do the running. Like Carlos um, Tevez, for example, who was a brilliant player, by the way, for Manchester United. And it was always uh, the way. So clearly his game's changed slightly with age, but he needs young players around him, such as uh, 20-year-old Mason Greenwood. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. It makes sense, though, to have legs around him, doesn't it? I mean, that that, that is something that Manchester United need to work on, certainly, is is how people interact in and around him. Because if he isn't offering that press in the games that we've got coming up as well, which are going to be matches where United will be pressed, I'm sure they'll try and use that tactic themselves as well. It's not going to be Ronaldo that's leading that, clearly, from those statistics. So it's got to be something that they need to work out. And while we're talking about older players and training schedules and and all that, uh, there's a really interesting article on The Athletic at the minute as well about Ibrahimovic at 40. I mean, Andy, we thought he was coming to Old Trafford for like the sort of twilight of his career, and that twilight has shown no sign of fading, has it? Amazing. And he delivered when he came to Old Trafford in an era where a lot of the other big names didn't. No question about him. Bang, bang, bang. And and even then, I thought he was, he was very unlucky to get that serious injury. And I thought he's on the way yeah. down now. And he, yeah, went yeah. To L, he went to LA and he was so much better than the other players around. He was like scoring hat tricks in the last six minutes in the derbies <laughs> and stuff. But I still thought he, he's, he's gliding down. And then he went back to Milan and I was speaking to some Milan season ticket holders when we were there earlier on this year. And they loved him that much that they crowdfunded to, to write a book about him. And they absolutely uh, adore him. And he's one of the game's big characters. I remember 
I interviewed him um, 10 years ago. A proper good interview. I just thought, wow, this, this guy is really, really interesting. Talking about the stuff which which wasn't to do with football, such as racism that he'd suffered, such as his background in the Balkans and um, immigration into Scandinavian countries following the Balkan Balkan Wars. And he won't be judged on what he says about, about politics or immigration. It's what he does on the pitch. And he's still doing it. And he isn't the first player, as, as it was pointed out in the Athletic article, to be playing over the age of 40. But to have the impact that he's having. I think it's probably a trend because of improvements in diet, in sports science, and and I won't say human evolution because I'd be talking out my backside there, but <laughs> it's, it, it's pointing towards that, isn't it? You know, um, Ryan Giggs always attributed his longevity to the yoga he did, the diet that he did, and I think professionals definitely look after themselves a lot, lot, lot better than, the, than many of them used to do. I remember interviewing Ibrahimovic the first time uh, after he joined United and I was generally quite excited and I was thinking, oh, I need to be on my toes here. I wonder what line he's going to feed here, you know, something about tigers or lions, whatever it was. It's one of the most boring interviews I've done after a game ever. I was I was really, like, disappointed, Laurie. Did you speak to him when he was at United? No, no, I was still doing the Midlands beat, wasn't I? So I was... Uh, right, yeah, sorry. My, my, my veteran uh, interviews were all Jamie Vardy, but... Um, no, I I, I I sort of flip between sort of liking all that Zlatan, um, you know, ridiculous... Uh, yeah, sort of, I know what you're about to say. And, and yeah. kind of thinking, shut up. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah, yeah. I've got mates who love the, you know, lions don't concern themselves with the thoughts of sheep stuff. And uh, and then, yeah, at the same time, I'm sort of thinking, he came a couple of years, had a good time, but, you know... He's... Well, I was waiting for those sort of lines and I just sort of got... Yeah, it was quite a tough game. I mean, we, we gave it what we could. Uh, we managed to get the goal and we won the game and uh, we're all really pleased and it's on to the next one now. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. No. Well, particularly when you've re- you've read his autobiography. I mean, that, I think it's a brilliant autobiography, that. I mean, he doesn't is, pull any it? punches there, you know, particularly the stuff on Pep Guardiola is, is fascinating and, and, and Lionel Messi. So I think fair, fair play. You know, we're always asking for for players to show character and have personality and be open and honest and candid and, and in that book he certainly was I suppose with you maybe he was just thinking I've got a master interrogator here I better not give him anything it's probably the, the standard of the questions again just like Scott McTominay at the weekend <laughs> as well they're footballers they have good and bad days don't they I'm sure sometimes they're in the mood to speak sometimes they're not I've had ones I remember doing a lot of research before speaking to Paredes for PSG last year I thought right I'll speak to him in Spanish I've done all this research and I got there and he just didn't want to be there and it was just like talking to a wall and unfortunately it's part of our job and you know the, the next day I did an interview really came off but that we, you know it, it's just sometimes they, they 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 can't be bothered and I think <laughs> they, they can't you know or sometimes they, 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 sometimes um, they're brilliant or maybe can't be bothered is the wrong way maybe they, they, they switch into media mode and they just give predictable answers right we're going to switch off from media mode ourselves as well but if you want to take a look at the articles we've been talking about have a look on The Athletic for more information. There's still time as well, if you're not a subscriber, to subscribe with a 33% discount. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But in the meantime, Andy, thank you to you. Laurie, thank you to you as well. And thanks for listening at home. Please do rate and review us with your podcast provider, whatever it is. And we'll be back on Thursday. Don't worry, we're going nowhere during this international break. And we'll have plenty of time to dissect exactly what's going on at Manchester United and exactly how important these upcoming matches are for the club, their ambitions this season, and indeed the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as well. But for the moment, goodbye, and we'll see you on Thursday. 
The Athletic.